Welcome to the Imperfect Leader Podcast. This is a podcast for leaders in all areas of life, pastors, teachers, business owners, employers, moms and dads who haven't figured it out yet, who struggle with unanswered questions, can't seem to find the time to get it all done, wonder if what they're doing is making a difference, leaders who battle depression, anxiety, mental illness of all sorts, real people like you and me, who find ourselves leading real people. We're imperfect and we know it. I'm Scott Neal, your host. This is episode two. On this episode, I welcome my good friend, Chris Dew. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Imperfect Leader Podcast, Chris. I'm so excited to be here, man. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Hey, we're excited to have you here. Uh, Chris, uh, you're uh, here for uh, Impact. It's our men's conference here at Forest Park. And uh, you did a fantastic job this afternoon bringing a message to all of our men. And we had some uh, professions of faith. Yeah, absolutely. We did. I think I counted 10 hands, I think. That's awesome. 10 people yeah. made a profession, so it's an yeah. awesome day. Yeah. I love whenever you share your story with uh, with our people here at Forest Park. They just uh, connect with you and the struggles that you've been through, which we'll get onto here in the uh, podcast. So it's just always a joy to have you here and uh, listen to your heart and what God's doing in your life. It's just an amazing journey you're on. Absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate it. And I tell you this often, man, but I love coming here uh, because of the rawness of your people. I get to speak at a lot of places. This place especially, man, your people are just raw and just extremely in love with Jesus, man. So always love coming here. Thank you very much. Chris, I watch you uh, from a distance, whether on Facebook or other social media platforms. And um, it's one of the reasons why we brought you into our men's conference, because I wanted you just to to share your heart with our guys. And you're going to be in both of our services tomorrow at Forest Park. I'm actually amazed at all you accomplished for God's kingdom and the people you're reaching. Um, You speak now uh, to thousands of people throughout the year uh, in churches and schools and camps and conferences. Um, I think if we could roll back time and return to your childhood and teenage years, I doubt we would believe that you're doing all that you're doing today. Isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. man. Uh, I'll get to some of that in a few minutes, but uh, I want to begin uh, years ago. Uh, take us back to your childhood. Uh, where where'd you grow up? What was it like uh, to be in your home as a kid and as a teenager? Absolutely, man. So I'm originally from Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, mm. just a few hours from here. A Tar Heel um, fan. Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm a Blue Devil fan, and um, yeah, man. Uh, well, this is the, the go- Imperfect Leader podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good. That's right. good. But I'll be preaching the gospel tomorrow, Excellent. and you know, it's always an opportunity for you to you know head over here to the light side oh, instead right. of the dark yeah. side that you're right. on over there. Sure. But, so what was it like, again, going back uh, to your childhood? Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, man. So had an awesome family, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the parents who really, really loved me, who really tried their best. Uh, but I had one huge issue, and it was a horrible speech impediment. Mm-hmm. So I like, you know, every time I opened my mouth, uh, it was just hard to get words out. You know, when I was in school, it was hard to answer questions out loud. I would hide my homework and act like I didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was out at a restaurant, um, I would have to write my order down on a sheet of paper. And um, that was really awkward wow. because I couldn't speak very well. Um, and just every place I went, I was anxious and awkward uh, because on every word I would stutter. So had all of that going on. Um, man, but outside of that, 
you know, I was involved with sports. I was involved with uh, the scouts, you know, all kinds of. So you had a very active childhood. Yes, active childhood. Um, You know, had awesome parents. uh, But, you know, obviously, as all parents, um, they were also imperfect. You know, so my dad, uh, he like he was always at work. You know, he overworked a lot. He was a car salesman and um, and all of that. So he. Um, he was always at work and when he came home uh, there was obviously a lot of friction you know with him and my mom um, and eventually I think it was I was probably 16 years old when they finally got a divorce and split up okay so you're 16 your mom and dad split and yes. end up in a divorce and did your mom get remarried your dad how did that work yeah um, so first I'll talk about my mom sure. uh, she ended up with a man who I love a whole lot yeah. uh, he's he was actually one of my principals growing up, wow. um, but is an awesome guy, um, and you know he is he's an awesome husband to my mom now. Yeah. Um, so happy for her there. Um, on the other side of that, with my dad, uh, him and I were just really really close growing up, you yeah. know, and um, especially after mom left, him and I got really really tight, and um, I uh, I was I stayed with him and I was living with him at the time and on April 22nd I believe of 2009 I heard his alarm going off in the other room and I was like what is that you know he should already been up and at work and all that so I just walked in there to cut off his alarm and he had had a massive heart attack and passed away um and man I you know that was so you found him I found my dad yep I found my dad dead and man how old were you at this time 19 19 yep what a tragedy to go through at 19. Yeah. Goodness. It was extremely hard. And I was always involved or already involved uh, with a lot of drugs and stuff. So having that Okay, happen, so you had already started experimenting with some drugs or were you already addicted at this time? I was already pretty heavy. Okay. Um, I was already on heroin at the time. Oh, goodness. And then when he passed away, you know, I had the resources then, obviously, from his insurance and all that. Mm-hmm. And I just went into a spiral. Wow. So that just sent you over the edge. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Well, you, you mentioned the heroin addiction, which was I was going to ask you about next. Um, anybody who knows you for any length of time knows about your heroin addiction. And uh, you and I have talked about it on several occasions. You've shared your story here at Forest Park. Um, you did so also in a high school last year here in Elizabeth City. Um, how, how did you first become exposed to heroin? Because I know there's a lot of people listening um, whose sons, daughters, husbands, wives uh, are struggling with substance abuse? Um, how did it, how did it come into your into your world when you were a teenager? I assume. Yeah. How, well, tell us a little bit about how that started. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, it was a slow process. Okay. You know, it wasn't like I was just walking down sure. the street one day yeah. and heroin. That's a great idea. Um, it was a slower process, but from a very young age, I had this emptiness in me, mm-hmm. and I was just like, man, I want to try to find anything that's gonna uh, help that emptiness, you know, and, and, um, so early on in my life, it was sports and stuff and popularity that I tried to use there to fix that. Uh, but eventually it led in uh, to smoking weed, you know, and at about age 15 or so, I started smoking weed. Um, and I was hooked from there, you know, uh, I smoked weed every single day, and I thought, hey, that's all I'm ever going to do is smoke weed. That's the only yeah. drug I'm ever going to do, and I'm just going to kind of uh, hang out there, and, you know, I've, I have help in that. 
uh, but eventually it started, you know, uh, getting into harder and harder drugs, you know, yeah. Adderall and pills and Xanax and Oxycontin. And you got um, these from your friends in your community, neighborhood yeah, or what? All kinds of different places, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, but when you're in that world, it just kind of sure. all is available to you. Yeah. Uh, so Oxy's eventually led into heroin, you know, and I was sniffing it at first, and then eventually I had some friends who were using needles, yeah. um, and then I started doing that as well at about the age of 17 or so. So at 17, you try heroin for the first time? Yep. Yeah. Yep. As a senior in high school, uh, I would, like, skip class, sell drugs, and I'd be shooting heroin at home. Yeah. How, uh, how bad did it get? It was real bad, man. Yeah. Real bad. As you can imagine, you know, um, was this every day? Um, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And once you start shooting heroin, it's hard to just kind of do it occasionally. Mm. Um, so it just dominates. It was controls. It was enslaving, man. Wow. It was every single day I lived for the next high and now what the was next going on bag. with your parents at this time? So I was, they knew with, what was happening with yeah, you. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and you know, I could explain a lot about that, uh, but my mom was very much, Hey, I'm gonna love you from a distance mm-hmm. uh, because I do not approve of this at all. And that was uh, the right approach, I believe. Uh, but my dad, um, he didn't have any help and all he knew is he wanted us happy. You know, he wanted me happy. So he tried his best, uh, but he, um, he just kind of let it happen. Yeah. So he just kind of stayed back and let you do what he thought would make you happy or bring some sense of joy to you? Well, I mean, you know, anytime that I got in trouble or anything, he would help me ultimately. Uh, But really it was kind of, you know, the opposite effect. It wasn't really helping me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. If you would have continued down that road, without a doubt, you would not be here today. Absolutely. You had friends who died. A lot of friends. Yeah. You watched some of your friends just literally the drug take their life away. Yeah. So, um, the only person who was uh, almost as close to my dad was my friend Dean, yeah. um, and he actually OD'd, and he passed away. How old was Dean? Uh, I think he was 21. You guys were close. High Extremely school buddies. Close. Yep. Yeah. High school buddies. Uh, we worked together, you know, and he was kind of my friend I got high with, and, and uh, yeah, he passed away from heroin overdose. And how did you feel at that time when you knew your friend died or as overdosing? Honestly, man, I think that you would, you know, hope uh, that I would have came to my senses, right? right? That my best friend died, uh, but it had the opposite effect on me. Mm. Um, I kind of used him as an excuse of, "Hey, I'm going to keep doing this thing." You know, I have an excuse. Ultimately, did you think getting you, high? You wouldn't OD. He did, but you, you wouldn't. Or how did you excuse that? I really don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. I think as a young man, uh, you have this. Um, idea and viewpoint that I'm invincible, right? right? I've never OD'd before. All my friends are kind of stupid, but ultimately I'm invincible. I would be the exception to the rule. Yep. Yeah. Well, you had a turning point in your life. Uh, What was it that turned you around? How did you get to the bottom, if you will, before you started looking up? What occurred? Absolutely, man. So I, you know, I could explain a lot about that. Of course, I could go extremely in depth. Uh, but ultimately, I um, I ended up running out of his inheritance money, mm-hmm. uh, which was a you know huge thing uh, because the options for me were homelessness or treatment. Um, wow. And I had man, 
You know, I was 100 pounds at the time. Goodness. Um, six feet tall, 100 pounds. Wow. And uh, just enslaved. I mean, I had all the money he gave me, which I think was about $68,000 um, in, I think it was 18 months, it was all the way gone. Um, so I was 100 pounds, out of money. I couldn't speak at all still, you know, and just enslaved to heroin. Wow. Yep. So you got to a place where you, you were either without a home or you had to go to a treatment center. Yep. And you chose a treatment center? Yes, okay. I did. I ended up at a treatment center in Florence, South Carolina. Okay. Awesome place called the Owl's Nest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I checked in there, and uh, I think it was about a week later that I was invited to a church service. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, man, if I can leave the treatment center, then I'm, I'm right. in, right? So I went uh, to the church. It was Christmas Eve. And I went and I heard the gospel, man, and, and everything uh, was changed after that, man. Yeah. I heard but you, about, had, you had heard the gospel before. Yes. Right? Yeah, I'd heard it. Sure. But I hadn't heard it. Right. You know. What was the difference? Is it because of where you were in your life? Uh, was it the way that it was presented? What, what grabbed you that evening and made a, a, a change inside of you? What happened? I don't know, man. I think that uh, there's a lot of factors that played into it. But I think one was that, um, you know, I was at a low bottom. Yeah. You know, I didn't really have any other answers, and I had tried everything else. You know, I had tried um, a whole lot of other things to make me happy and to give me hope and purpose and freedom and all those things. But all of that hadn't worked, so I was willing to try this Jesus thing. Yeah. Well, I tell you, there's a lot of guys and uh, girls in our community that is addicted to heroin. I talk to parents, I talk to um, wives and husbands, and uh, their kids, their spouses are literally in a hell, just like you were. And uh, uh, we're praying and and counseling with them uh, that there's hope, and that's what we want to see is what happened to you. We want to see it happen in their lives. Absolutely. Because if not, their kids are going to die. And uh, so that night, uh, you were at a church service, yep. and the message of, of uh, the gospel came through to you and grabbed a hold of you, and you went through a radical transformation. Yep. Yeah. What did it feel like? Describe that evening when you heard the message and you, you gave your life to Christ. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, you know, as I explained earlier, man, I always had this emptiness yeah. in my soul and uh, this hopelessness of, man, I don't have anything that works. Uh, but that evening, I you know, heard about Jesus, heard about how He loved me, you know, and heard about how He made a uh, actual way I could be saved and set free and have joy. Um, and man, I got a taste of the hope I had always been looking for mm-hmm. in that moment. I got a taste of the happiness and the pleasure uh, that I had been really longing for my whole life. Wow! And uh, I noticed now you wear a hat that has joy on it. And you have some shirts that have joy written across the front. And that's where it comes from. Yes. Because absolutely. you want to search for joy your whole life. And when you found Christ, the true joy grabbed a hold of you. Absolutely. And you begin to experience it. That's amazing. Well, Chris, without a uh, doubt, you are a source of hope to a lot of uh, people who are struggling with addiction. And you inspire them and you encourage them. Um, but there's a lot of people out there, as I mentioned, who continue to struggle. Um, what do you say to the guy, to the girl right now, who's just at 
a breaking point in their life, and they just don't know if there's hope. They haven't found that joy yet. They haven't found the hope yet. Maybe they've heard the gospel before, but it hasn't uh, grabbed a hold of them as it did you that night. Uh, what would you say to that person if he or she's listening right now or a parent is listening and their son, their daughter is an addict and they just feel as if they're, they're waiting for the phone call, yep. you know, that maybe their son is gone? What would you say to that mom, that dad, or that person who's, who's battling so much? Yeah, man, that's a that's an awesome question, um, and I think there's a lot of things I could say, but the main thing is that uh, there is hope, and there is something way better out there uh, than slavery to drugs and alcohol. Yeah, like like there just is, man. This life on this side of Jesus is completely different than the old life of slavery and emptiness. That there is a joy. You know that what you're looking for is Jesus yeah. and and only Jesus. It isn't him and religion. It's not him and a whole bunch of, it is Jesus Christ is the only answer. Yeah, man. That's a message that we want to get out to more and more people. And that's what you're doing. You're Absolutely. taking this message to so many different um, kids and, and parents and schools and churches and conferences and all those different things because it's a lot different for you now than it was then. Yeah. And I, I look at you online and see different things that God's doing in your life, and I'm just amazed at the people you're able to influence. Um, you travel all yes, around sir. the nation right now. Yes, sir. And uh, you're, you're speaking in high schools and conferences and camps and churches, and you're sharing your story. And most importantly, not your story, but the story of Jesus That's right. and Come how on. he has completely turned your life around and set you free. Um, give us a quick report of this past year uh, that you've been able to travel and seen some people's lives turned around. Tell us a little bit about it. Absolutely, man. Well, we're just having a lot of fun, really. We're just having a lot of fun. Um, we've had the opportunity to travel all across the country and um, hopefully all across the world pretty soon. We're going to be traveling some other places out of the U.S., which is going to be awesome. awesome. Um, but uh, over the past year, um, we've spoken at about 40 events or so yeah. and a whole lot of those are churches or camps or rehabs or jails and stuff like that so just just all kinds of stuff and man i've just seen jesus do some incredible things yeah. you know i haven't ever been more sure uh that this world is broken you know just the conversations especially out at like summer camps and stuff hanging out with high schoolers and middle schoolers and just all the crazy things they're going through right now um yet I also haven't ever been more sure of, uh, of the hope and the power of the gospel. Yeah. Um, just like seeing addicts come in, you know, enslaved and hearing the gospel and having a heart change and having freedom now. Or uh, people who've been raped and abused in their past, hearing the gospel, hearing about freedom and forgiveness and joy and having a heart change and actually having the opportunity to walk out of that, out of that shame. Yeah. Uh, and experience true love and grace, man. So we've seen a lot of people come to Christ only by God's grace um, and just a whole bunch of other incredible stories as well on top of that. You know, one of the things that I'm amazed at is when I speak with you is you talk about um, all the addicts that you meet, whether they're in high schools or uh, camps or conferences. Uh, there's a um, just a groundswell of addicts and people in pain. And you look at them, 
and they seem to have the clothes. They, they seem to have the smile. They have all the stuff on the outside, but underneath there's so much pain. You see that when you go into high schools. You all see that time. when you talk. There's drugs everywhere, yep. and addictions are rampant. They're everywhere. And uh, that's got to be difficult, though, I would think, for you just emotionally, just day after day. I know when you're here and you speak, you step off the stage, and there's people waiting for you, yep. and you're talking to them about their addictions. Do you experience a lot of emotional drain from just person after person after person? Is, is that true? Some of that. Yeah. Absolutely. I, mean, I think the Lord has called me to this, yeah. so he's going to empower me to be able right. to do it. Um, so I do have a lot of compassion and a lot of empathy for those people, yet I really feel like uh, he's just really equipped me. Yeah. Um, to be able to operate at that pace right now. Yeah. Well, I have watched you uh, stand in line for 20, 30 minutes to an hour. I know last time you were here with us, it was we had to almost pull you away from all the people who were coming up and just, well, they wanted to talk with you and share their story, whether it was their own life or their kid. And uh, there's just so many people out there hurting. And uh, the message you bring to them is just uh, one that um, brings hope, and inspiration and healing to them so it's exciting it's exciting to watch what god's doing in your life and watch the people you're impacting well, let's it. talk a, a little bit about uh, the leadership side yep, of all on. this because uh, you had to get started uh here, here is a, a, a heroin junkie okay <laughs> dying and uh god turns his life around jesus cleanses him washes him sets him on a new path and you've got this story but you've also got all the issues of not speaking clearly and struggling with your speech. Yep. And That's how it is still. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and now you're traveling everywhere. How, how did you get started? How did you go from, you know, being basically homeless or, you know, a rehab center to literally going and speaking to thousands of people now across the nation? How, how did you get moving in that direction? Yeah, man. So early on, I was just really hungry for Jesus. Yeah. I was just hungry to like, you know, pray a lot and read his word and just learn as much as I could. I just love learning. Right. Um, so I was always in a book, always in the Bible, uh, just really trying to learn and uh, just really understand what this whole thing was all about with following Jesus. And early on, um, after I met Christ, I heard a clear call from the Lord of, hey, I'm calling you to travel and preach the gospel. Hmm. And it was one of those things of, heck no, like yeah. <laughs> I can't even talk. I can mm -hmm. hardly like speak at all. How am I going to do that? Uh, but he, he has slowly healed my speech and slowly opened up uh, small opportunities at first to just hang out with people in small groups or at treatment centers and just kind of pour out, you know, open the Bible, share my story, share the word. Uh, but slowly he started opening up other opportunities that were larger. A huge aspect of this, too, is I was an apprentice at my church okay. uh, in Anderson, South Carolina. Yeah. And I was there for about uh, 18 months or so as an apprentice. And all in that time, I was able to get the practical side of things. Right, I had the passion, had the drive, had all that, but I didn't have any clue of, you know, how to have a calendar or how to schedule things or spreadsheets or, you know, um, how to have a team, how to hold meetings, you know, how to craft a sermon. And all of that came over time as a result of just hanging out with people who were actually operating at that pace who just kind of taught me how to do that. 
Right. So you didn't just take your story and go, and everything just fell into place. <laughs> no, no. Right. There's a whole practical side of it as well. Right. Yeah. So it takes some organization and 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 uh, scheduling and you said crafting a sermon and learning how to do those those things. Yep. And that was a you had to step out in faith because I know at the beginning it had to be very uh, fearful with a struggling with to, to, you know with a speech impediment and then knowing that you're going to be in front of people and they're all going to be watching you listening to you speak so that had to be uh scary at the beginning absolutely man and, and um if i'm really honest with you it is still hmm. you know every time before i get on stage i still have all kinds of anxiety and like man what if i don't speak well and all that so but even just, after all this time you still struggle with that every time wow. <laughs> every single time yeah. Yeah, because you never know, right? That's how you that and those thoughts come back, and right before you walk out, what happens if you get out there and you know, make a fool of yourself and all those different things, and that just plays on your mind. So every time you stepped up to speak, it is an act of faith. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. man. But over time, I've really seen, uh, man, how incredible God is. Yeah. He's so faithful. You know, like every time I get up, even if it isn't as smooth and as clean as I would have liked, He still moves. Right. Um, and I think over time, it uh, really has a way of just kind of being like, okay, I can trust him. Yeah. Like he, he is a good father. He is going to show up. He is going to speak through me. He is going to move however he wants to. Right. Well, hey, one of the most exciting events occurred this past year in your life, mm-hmm. and that's you got married. I did. Yeah. I remember last year when you were here, you had a countdown. Yeah, I did. You had so many days before you were going to get married, and everybody was And it was, was way too long at that point. <laughs> I think it was 100 and something, yeah. which that's miserable. I remember that. But uh, you, uh, you, you got married. What's uh, what, what date was it that you were married? January seventh. I was okay. about to say eighth. Seventh <laughs> of this I hope year. You know what day it is. <laughs> when she hears this podcast, that would not be good. No, if you that, wouldn't, yeah. that wouldn't be good. But I got it right, babe. Right. And her name. What's her Kathleen name? Kathleen is her, Kathleen is yeah. her name. So yeah. uh, I haven't met her yet, but I'm looking forward to meeting hottest her. woman alive. I love her. <laughs> That's awesome. And she loves Jesus, so it's cool. How in the world did you convince her to marry you? I have no idea. <laughs> Literally no idea. Um, yeah, man. So it's it's an act of grace, I think, too. That's just the Lord's goodness, I think, on my where, where Where did you meet her? So um, when I was in Florence, I was a swim coach, mm-hmm. and I actually coached her little brother on the swim team. Oh. So we kind of connected there, and then... I was up in Anderson, moved there, and didn't have any uh, contact with her. Uh, but her and I kind of reconnected, and then it was all history from there. That's great. And you guys were married uh, this past January, so you're coming up in your first year. Yeah, that's crazy January. that yeah. it's been almost a year already. Almost a year. Man. Wow. I have what a lot is to the, learn. Yeah. Well, that's true. I've been married uh, 27 years, and Man. I'm still learning. Come on. Yeah. So what is the most surprising thing? about being married so far? That is a good question. (laughs) Um, I think probably the answer to that is just, um, I'm an introvert kind of by nature, Mm -hmm. so I love alone time, and I spend a lot of time alone prior to getting married. Uh, But now her and I each have a home office, and we're almost always home together. We're out on the road together. So, um, you know, it's I think probably the most surprising thing is just how much I love spending time with my best friend. 
Yeah. You know, like I just love spending time with her and it's not old yet. I'm sure, you know, eventually maybe it'll get like, okay, I need some space. But like, I just love spending time with her all the time. And, you know, having alone time is good. And I still do that on a regular basis. Yet I just love spending time with her. That's great. Well, you are traveling and scheduling and staying in hotels and sleeping in strange places (laughs) and uh, having to, you know, uh, leave her back at home while you go and speak sometimes. Now, I assume she travels with you. Almost all the time. She's with me on the road. That's great. But every now and then uh, you can't, she can't come with you. So you bring somebody with you or, or whatever. Um, how, How are you keeping all that together? I mean, that's a lot of scheduling and and speaking engagements and messages and counseling with people. How do you how do you keep all that moving? So yeah, um, I have an incredible team. Okay. First of all, so I have a ministry team of about six people right now who help with all kinds of things from social media to finance, you know, to scheduling to stuff like that. So they honestly are a huge huge part of that of just uh, helping keep all of that straight. So that's a big part. Uh, but the other thing is I'm extremely anal with scheduling and calendaring and, um, you know, having action items. So I'm just extremely type A when it comes to that. Yeah. So I just love all that side of things as yeah. well. well. What are you learning right now about leadership that's helping you the most? I know you read. You enjoy yep. reading. Love it. So what are you reading, learning right now, putting into place that's helping you be more effective as a leader? I think here's probably the biggest thing right now um, is I think oftentimes as leaders uh, that we view people who that we lead as means to an end, Mm. right? I need this person on my team because I have to post a social media post or I need this person on my team because I'm horrible at finances and I need them to do finances for me and my mission ultimately. Uh, But what I'm learning is that that's actually not how you lead, mm. uh, that they are not just like uh, means to an end, uh, but they are really people who I'm called uh, to love and uh, to really care about their souls um, more than I care about their workload. Yeah. Uh, so that's probably the biggest thing, man. And I know that's a, that's a hard thing to learn uh, because I think especially in a high-paced Man, I'm running and gunning. I've got all these events on the calendar. You know, I'm traveling all over the place. It's very easy to flip that a little bit and be like, man, how come you're not getting this done? Like, this has to get done. I've got to, you know, I've got to do this or that. Yet, man, I'm really trying to change, you know, have a heart change really on that of, man, I just want to love people. Yes, hold them to a high standard because that's an avenue of love, right? Uh, But ultimately, I just want to care way more about who they're becoming than what they're doing. Yeah, that's good. So more about what you can do for them, how you can pour into them, how you can lead them to the next level than just what they can provide for you. Absolutely. And that's how Jesus led. Absolutely. You know, that, that's how he led. He was not, all right, I need you, you know, uh, to help me out because I need you to, uh, to do finances for me. He cared about their souls. Yeah. You know, he did. And that's how I'm trying to lead. I'm very imperfect at it, yet that's how I'm trying to lead right now. Well, it's easy to lose sight of that. You know, you stand in front of all these people uh, week after week, and you get, you know, question after question, and you've got to move on to the next place, the next city. You've got to get your schedule right. You've got to get all these things done. So it's easy to see people as a means to an end, you know. 
Yep. Hey, I need you to help me get this done rather than you help them and pour into them. So that's, Absolutely. Uh, that's easy to, uh, to get backwards, if you will. What uh, right now, and it may be what we just talked about or something else, but what's um, right now in front of you kind of your most challenging leadership issue? If you could fix one thing, tweak one thing, change one thing, what would it be? Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's an awesome question. I think it's probably my anxiety hmm. uh, with speaking all the time and having a slight speech impediment still. Yeah. Um, it's extremely easy to get very anxious on that side of things. Uh, but I really do know that that is um, from the Lord. You know, he has yeah. the ability to take it away if he wanted to, yeah. yet he has it there to keep me humble mm. ultimately. So, man, I would love if he'd just snatch that sure. thing away and I could speak fluently and I just crushed. I didn't have any anxiety any place I went, yet I'd probably be pretty prideful if that mm. was the case yeah. because I am on stages a lot. So, um, man, that's a hard question. I think that's my answer. Yet, I also trust that, you know, he has that in his hand and he has that there for a purpose. Well, I, I would imagine there's some people listening who struggle with anxiety as well, and maybe for a different reason than you do. Uh, you might be able to help them or encourage them a little. When you are standing behind stage, getting ready to walk out, or you're, you know, get up that morning and you know you're getting ready to speak at a high school or a conference or whatever, and you start to feel that anxiety, take us through a little bit of what you do. I know you pray. I know you, you know, think through your message and prep yourself to be as, you know, prepared as possible. But uh, help somebody out there who just needs some some practical steps, some encouragement. Maybe they just haven't learned some of the things you've learned on how to overcome the anxiety and still get up and speak. Yep, absolutely. Well, there's a spiritual side of it and a okay. practical side of okay. it. So the spiritual side of it is, man... I just know that he's with me. Yeah. I just know the Lord is with me and he has a whole bunch of promises in scripture to me uh, that I'm going to try to just hold on to. Um, so that's probably the huge thing. And that's really the most important thing. Uh, the practical side of it um, is I uh, sleep really good the night before, hopefully yeah. eat healthy food, mm -hmm. uh, which helps somehow. I don't know why it helps, uh, but that helps. And then I also try to get a workout in. Okay. every time before I speak. I love CrossFit, so always trying to get a CrossFit workout in uh, almost every place I go. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of the side. And then the other thing is just, um, you know, to just uh, speak a little bit, uh, to just have conversations and read something out loud to kind of get the motor running a mm -hmm. little bit before I get on stage and have to really uh, have a whole talk I'm giving. Right. So you've um, grown accustomed to having anxiety in your life, and you <laughs> yep. recognize it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> And you don't really fight it. You just accept it and work around it, pray. And you've got a few practices that you go through to help you overcome the practical side. Yep. And you go out and face it. you yep. got to walk on that stage. You have you to gotta do, do it. it. I think early on with this speech impediment especially, I had a decision uh, that I could either um, you know, just kind of let – fear hold me back of opportunities of no I can't speak at that place because I'd stutter or no man I can't have that conversation with that person because I'd stutter uh, but I came to the place where I'm never gonna let that be the reason of holding me back even if I you know um, am overwhelmed with anxiety and have a lot of fear and stuff going into it 
man, I'm getting on that stage yep. even if I have that going on. Yep. Ultimately, trusting God that yep. he's going to get me through. Have you ever walked onto a stage with just anxiety just raging? Lots of times. Lots of times. Lots of times, man. There was this one time at Clemson FCA. So yeah. um, had had a, a lot of students there, a lot of college students. And it was right near my house. Mm-hmm. So home crowd, about 3,000 students. Wow. And I got up there, and I'm telling you, I was overran with anxiety. Uh, horrible message. I stuttered through it, and it was the worst thing. But it ended up hundreds of people responding to the gospel that wow. night. So it was one of those times where, man, I know his strength is made perfect in my weakness, yeah. yet it sucks when you're going yeah. through it. <laughs> yeah, because the next time you go through it, you still feel the same anxiety. And you, even though you think back to the other time when it, it, you know God just came through, it's still there. Absolutely. And you feel it. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, Chris, uh, one more huge question I yep. want to ask you before we wrap this up. Um, Jesus has done an incredible work in your life. Uh, to you, he is not a theory. <laughs> to you, he is not a religion. To you, he is the one who delivered you, set you free, changed your life. So just take a couple minutes here and just tell us why Jesus, why him. There's a lot of religions out there. There's a lot of different philosophies and ideas, but you follow Jesus. Yep. Why? And that's a great question. Um, half of that answer is that I tried a lot of other things and they didn't work. Yeah. Um, you know, everything I tried uh, to really uh, fill that void in my life, it really didn't work. You know, all the popularity and the porn and the drugs and the alcohol and the partying, like all of those things, um, you know, helped for a season. Uh, But ultimately, I was empty at the end of it. Uh, But with Jesus, um, he was the thing I was always looking for. Uh, The hole I had in my soul has been filled with Christ. Um, And man, it's been six and a half years now. And I'm still in love with Jesus, man. So, so he's, you know, that's a huge aspect of it. And I really do believe that, uh, every person in this world is made for that relationship with him. You know, ultimately that's how we were created in the image of God, uh, to have a relationship with God. Uh, but obviously sin has kind of broken that. And all of us, uh, have a hole in our soul from the broken relationship. And all of us are trying to find something that will help that and fill that, but ultimately nothing works. Um, And all the other world religions say it the same way and then say, you've got to earn your way to God, right? Hey, if you've got to get right with God, how that happens is you've got to climb this ladder of religiosity in order to get there. Uh, But the opposite is true with Jesus. He came down here. He lived the perfect life in our place. He was crucified for our sins on the cross. He rose from the dead. And man, in that, he makes a way that uh, all of us can be saved, you know, and have that right relationship with God restored, have that whole filled with what it was meant to be filled with, and that's God himself. And that message radically changed your life. Yes, sir. And continues to change millions of people's lives today. Mm. Yes, sir. And you are a part of taking that message to the ends of the earth. That's right. And when you're sitting there looking an addict in the face, and he or she is dying, you're at the ends of the earth and you're taking Mm -hmm. that message to that person and it's still changing lives a day. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, Chris, uh, how do people get a hold of you? If they're interested in more about what you do and, you know, to listen to you, follow you, uh, tell us a little bit about how to get in contact with you. Absolutely, man. Well, I'm on all of the 
social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, all of that. Um, and then I also have a website, which is chrisdoministries.com. Okay. So all those ways they can get in touch with me. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you uh, for listening to The Imperfect Leader, Episode 2. There are hundreds of podcasts you could be listening to, and you chose to listen to this one. That's amazing. Hey, if you enjoyed it and you found it helpful, please share it with a friend or recommend others to check it out. I want to know what you think and how we can improve. Remember, nothing succeeds like imperfection, and I can't wait to do this again with you. We'll see you next time.